Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Gracious and most merciful Father, let us to be able to rest and receive your word this very evening, that in this word that we have hope, that you would comfort us in our affliction, that your promise would give us life, that as the insolent utterly deride us as we trust in you and your word, let us not turn away from your law. As we think of your rules from old, let us take comfort in you through Christ Jesus. Send your spirit upon us that we might be comforted by your word this very evening. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 97. This is God's holy and errant life-giving word. Please take heed how you hear. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world and the earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. Before the Lord of all the earth, the heavens proclaim his righteousness. And all the peoples see his glory. All worshippers of imagers are put to shame. Who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. You, O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy of the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Psalm 97 is quite a simple psalm to be able to comprehend and wrap our heads around. It actually is quite simple. We get the very clear statement at the very first line, as Psalm 23 speaks of the Lord is our shepherd, is my shepherd, so too. Psalm 97 opens with the beginning phrase that then is unpacked in the rest of the psalm. In the enthronement psalms, you might call them Psalm 93 onward, speaks of God's reign over all the earth. And here 97 speaks exactly that the Lord does in fact reign. In Hebrew, merely just two Hebrew words. Yahweh Maluk. The Lord reigns. This simple statement, this simple pronouncement, the Lord is sovereign, the Lord is king, the Lord is ruler, the Lord is governor. Simple for us to be able to utter with our mouths but yet so difficult for us sometimes to be able to fathom with our hearts. 
we get the right answer if we were to ask the question, who reigns? Well, the Lord reigns. But then we turn on the news, and anxiety rises as we get worried. It seems maybe the foolish reign, or that evil governs. We know that the Lord reigns, but yet the simple fact when we open our phones and start looking at social media, it seems then that self reigns, or Satan rules. We know that the Lord reigns, but then we go to the doctor. And then it seems that sickness reigns. Death is supreme and sovereign. We know that the Lord reigns, but then we think of ourselves. And it seems not the Lord reigns in our lives, but our sinful desires is the one that rules and dictates how we are to act. We know that the Lord reigns, but it seems that the wicked prosper that evil has victory, that evil wins. Yet tonight's psalm teaches us, comforts us, exhorts us, warns us about how, in fact, the Lord reigns. The statement of truth, of God's sovereignty over all things. A great psalm to remember when we have forgotten. A great psalm to be able to consider when we think of all the other things that seem appear to reign. So how then does the Lord reign? Firstly, we see the Lord reigns with an awful presence. The Lord reigns with an awful presence. You see this in verses 2 to 5. Now when I use the word awful, I do not mean some yucky or something icky, some putrid green shag pile carpet that you would describe as awful. What I mean by this is this filled with awe. Awesome. Often what we have is some tamed view of God. And we merely think that God is maybe just a level above us. That God is just in fact like us. What if God was one of us, a slob like one of us? Maybe He's a notch above what we are or who we are. He's more patient than we are, more loving than we are. He's never had those bad thoughts go through his mind. But this is not merely the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible speaks of a God who is filled with awe. Like trying to be able to fathom and understand. We often make God smaller and ourselves bigger. To try and grasp and fathom God is not merely to be able to fathom a small aspect We often think that God is somewhat like a swimming pool. And we think we have grasped who He is. In His mercy, His graciousness, His splendor, His wonder, His majesty. And we say we understand God. And we can look at a swimming pool and say we understand water, we understand the depth, the vast, the size of it. And we can be standing in awe as we look at how much water fills in the swimming pool. But we truly do not grasp the fullness of God's glory and majesty and splendor. Instead of the Olympic swimming pool, it's more like the ocean. 532 trillion swimming pools at the very least. 
And here, the author reminds us that the Lord, in fact, reigns with an awesome and awful presence. As the author of Hebrews explains in chapter 12, that let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And then let, let us then worship, offer to him acceptable worship with reverence and awe because God is an all-consuming fire. So why do we say in Psalm 97 that the Lord reigns with an awful presence? Look at how the psalmist writes of all the things that are around the Lord. Firstly, the clouds and darkness are around him. Secondly, righteous and justice are under him. Thirdly, fire and melted mountains are before him. And fourthly, exalted and high above him. The clouds and darkness are around him. You see this in verse 2. The clouds and thick darkness are all around him. This takes you back to Exodus chapter 20 when the people come before the mountain and, and the people see the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And the people's response when they stand in the presence of the Lord is to be filled with fear. That the people were afraid and trembled and they, they stood far off. They asked that Moses would be the one who spoke to the Lord on their behalf. See this also in verse 4 where his lightnings light up the world and the earth sees and it trembles. And no one encounters the God of the Bible and is merely just blatant or flippant response. The response is filled with fear and trepidation. They think their life is on the line. The death has come to them. And truly, we do not truly grasp the glorious, majestic attributes of God. And we come before Him on the Lord's Day, and we merely think we're meeting a friend. And yet, we should stand in astonishment and thankful and grateful hearts that we're able merely to be able to stand in His presence, not because what we have done, but what Christ has done for us that we do go and approach Him, as the author of Hebrews says, that we do, in fact, worship Him with awe and reverence. And we worship Him for His greatness, for His majestic name, the glorious God. Not only clouds and thick darkness, but also righteousness and justice are under Him. See this again in verse 2. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. Again, the Lord is supreme over all things. And how does the Lord reign? He reigns with righteousness and justice. This is how God's rule is, reign is marked. Again, not merely just haphazardly, but the foundation is His righteousness and His justice. When we look out of the world and we see all the chaotic injustices going on, the unrighteousness that abounds, and yet the Lord reigns. And this is how He is going to judge the world in His righteousness and His justice. 
They are, in fact, the foundations of his throne. Not merely righteous and justice are under him, but also fire and melted mountains are before him. See this in verse 3 and verse 5. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord and all the earth. It's not merely that the Lord reigns and he says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne, but it, you see that, in fact, in how he relates to those wicked. The Lord rules and the wicked do not win. The fire in the Bible is often a sign of judgment and destruction. Think of Sodom and Gomorrah. For the believer, the fire is that of what purifies the cleanses. Again, judgment and destruction, but not in the whole, but merely the part. The part of ourselves in which deserves that, that, judge, that judgment of our sin is what cleanses us. But to the unbeliever, it cleanses them to the point of destruction and their end. And here the image of fire going before him, that mountains are what of like wax. What is firm and solid and stands in its pride is the next minute in liquid. We then see a response that we are to rejoice in this. More on this later, but here in verse 8, the Zion hears and is glad the daughters of Judah rejoice because of the judgments, O Lord. That here we see the, the response of the believers to be able to see the fire going out, burning up the adversaries. The wicked that is out there in people, but more importantly, the wicked that is within us. The Lord seeks to be able to conquer and defeat sin in us. And us, then we rejoice. But also the Lord reigns. He is exalted and high above all. See this in verse 9. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. That here we see everything else seems to reign and rule supreme over the world. But yet, the Lord says, this is through the psalmist, that you are exalted above all gods. As we consider even as we're going through the book of Exodus, that this is a constant refrain that comes up in these signs and wonders, that the earth is the Lord's. Not these false gods the Egyptians worship, but everything is used for God and His glory at His disposal. The frogs that are leaping, the gnats that are flying, the boils that are growing, the hail that is falling, the darkness that is looming, the the death which is judging. All of these are used by God for His glory to be on display that all the earth exalts and praises the Lord reigns. He is high above all. And when we look out at the world and we see that everything else seems to be reigning, we need to be reminded that there's not a battle of mere chess where the Lord is, is struggling to try and win and trying to work out the best solution to be able to conquer His enemies. He reigns over all. He is supreme over all. 
Whatever news goes past our feed, whatever news the doctors deliver, whatever hope we have in the world that is fading and fleeting, the Lord still reigns and is exalted above all things. That Yahweh is above all gods. Not only we see the Lord reigns in His awful presence, but we also see the Lord reigns and is worthy of our worship. There's a response here that as we seek and understand and fathom the Lord is seated above all things, reigns over all, that then our response is to be able to worship Him. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, the psalmist writes in verse 1. Let the many coastlands be glad. To rejoice and be glad is a theme throughout this whole psalm that once we fully grasp and comprehend, the Lord reigns. In verse 6, the heavens proclaim His righteousness and all the people see His glory. This is our end. This is our goal, that the Lord reigns. And this should drive us to be able to worship Him. Not be worried and anxious about what is to come, the uncertainty of tomorrow. For God reigns. Nothing slips by Him. No atom does what it wills. The Lord uses everything for His disposal that the whole heavens proclaim His righteousness, that all the peoples will see His glory. And once we consider the Lord in all of His grandeur and glory and splendor, then we cannot but fall down our knees and worship Him. This should be the praise on our lips, the the joy in our hearts. We don't have time to be able to go through this in some deep dive, but to think just merely about the book of Revelation when people encounter the living God and their response is to worship Him, the song of the 24 elders. As they sit before God's throne and acknowledge God's holiness, His worthiness, as He is Creator. The new song in Revelation 5, sung by the four living creatures, the 24 elders, they celebrate the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who is slain, who is worthy to be able to open the scroll that no one else is able to be able to open. The song of the great multitude in Revelation 7, where the multitude of every people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and language cry out in worship. Ascribing to the Lord's salvation and glory and power to the Lamb. The song of the 144,000 in Revelation 14. Where the redeemed sing a song that they can learn standing before the lamb in which was, the lamb in which was slain to be able to save them and redeem them. The song of Moses and the Lamb in Revelation chapter 15. Those who have conquered the beast in His image sing this song of victory of Christ's victory and God's righteousness in His wondrous works. The Hallelujah Chorus in Revelation chapter 19. This series of Hallelujahs where the great multitude in heaven cry out to the Lord for His salvation and also His righteous judgments. This is what we have to look forward to as we cry, as we meet the living, true God in which we see only by faith now, but once we will see in faith, we cry out as the psalmist cries out, the Lord reigns. Nothing can stop Him. Nothing can hold Him back. 
This is our comfort. This is what Paul in Romans chapter 8 finishes and says, What can separate us from the love of God? If God is not all-powerful, is God if not all-reigning, then something would be able to stop us. Something more powerful than Him. But what can separate us? And Paul's point in Romans chapter 8 is nothing. Why? Because the Lord reigns. He has conquered death. He has conquered Satan. He has conquered sin. Does our life reflect that true worship of God as we stand, through, although through faith before Him, standing in awe of Him and all that He has done to be able to save us and redeem us? And does our life reflect this truth of God's reign? Do we in fact worship Him, glorifying Him forever? And sadly, we have the right answer. We say the Lord reigns, but when it comes to the truth of our reality, we spend more time being anxious than we are been worshiping. We spend more time, if we look at our schedules, doing things of worldly nature than truly of worshiping Him. Does our search history live out this true statement, this simple statement, the Lord reigns? Thirdly and finally, the Lord reigns and His people are subject. Again, the simple statement, the Lord reigns, is quite simple. But the principle lived out is quite difficult. And we fall short of it daily. Verses 10 to 12, it explains of those who understand and fathom the Lord's reign. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the darkness and joy and the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Let me finish briefly with three application points. The Lord reigns. And that then thus needs to be applied to our lives. That loving the Lord means hating evil. If you truly love the statement that the Lord reigns, then you love what the Lord loves. And hate what the Lord hates. That loving the Lord goes hand in hand with pursuing holiness and righteousness. Seeking to be able to live out as faithful subjects, echoing the, the glorious King who rules. J.I. Packer says, God's call to holiness begins by telling me to dwell on those great and awesome realities. Until I find myself truly awestruck at the greatness of my God who is making it all happen. So once we truly set our eyes on God in His glory, His splendor, His holy, His majesty, His goodness, His truth, His mercy, His love, so too we love those things. And we hate anything else. The second application point is living for the Lord means loving righteousness. We find this true if we unpack the idea that the Lord reigns, that he reigns in all aspects of our life. And we love what the Lord loves. He reigns over the choices we make. That we might seek to be able to honor Him. 
to be able to live for what he says is right, not what we in our own sinful hearts say is right. Thirdly and finally, we live out this application of the Lord reigns. We thank the Lord. That means rejoicing in him. We constantly should cultivate the heart of gratitude. That God is the one who preserves us and delivers us. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns over the chaos of this world. The news feed which continually comes. But he also rejoices. He also reigns over our sinful hearts by redeeming and delivering us. As the psalmist writes, he is the one who preserves the lives of the saints, his saints. He is the one who delivers them from the hand of the wicked. The Lord reigns. And we find comfort not merely in the Lord reigns out there, the Lord reigns in here as well. Over our sin and our folly. The Lord is the one who preserves us, that the one who delivers us through his son Jesus Christ the one who now sits at his right hand and rules supreme, the one who will return when we sing those loud songs of praise found in the book of Revelation, praising him for his glory and majesty as we stand in his awe-filled presence, as we sing to be able to worship him and cry out to the one who reigns, the one who reigns over our whole life. Let's go to him in prayer. Let's pray. Almighty and powerful Father, we give you thanks and praise that you do in fact reign. Lord, help us to be able to understand and comprehend this simple statement that you reign. Help us, Lord, to be able to fathom that in the chaos of this world, looking unto Christ, the one who sits at your right hand, interceding for our, on our behalf. Help us to live as true worshipers of you in that kingdom that cannot be shaken, as we worship you with awe-filled reverence and awe. Lord, help us, Lord, to be able to live out this life that you would, in fact, reign supreme in all that we do. Over our sin, over our folly, over our schedule, over our desires of our hearts, that you would, in fact, reign supreme. Help us, Lord, for we need your help. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.